I had to learn myself that it is not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the nurtured. As mothers, as women, if we do not nurture ourselves, we cannot nurture anybody else. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share honest and inspiring conversations so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebilagin. If you're a fan of Lux Listing Sydney, you'll know Delene Lewis, the real estate agent boss who has dominated the industry over the past 20 years. I confess, I'm a big fan. I loved watching her on the Amazon Prime video series and seeing the single mum of two kill it among the younger agents, while also bringing up two small humans and maintaining a good fitness routine. Well, make that soon to be three small humans. At 50, Delene, who is also principal of Lang and Simmons Double Bay and Bondi Beach, is pregnant. In this episode, she talks about the grit it took to become a success in this male-dominated industry, falling pregnant at 50, and how she got her strength back after a tough period in her life. Look, to say that I've been looking forward to this chat is an understatement. (laughs) Yeah, I've been such a fan of yours since watching you on Lux Listings because it's just so cool to see a woman who is dominating in her industry and who has dominated over many, many years. So one of my favorite moments in the series is seeing how you set up your day by dedicating the first hour to a workout. Is that something you do now and do regularly? So it's interesting because, you know, I'm a single mum. I've got two kids, pregnant with a third. And how I set my day up before I had kids is very different to how I set my day up now. I always used to exercise in the morning before anything. Um, Now what I do is I will meditate. I wake up at 5.55 every morning and I'll meditate for 23 minutes. And that sets me up for the day. I will exercise on a Wednesday morning at 5.30, Thursday morning with my trainer and then a Saturday morning. So those are my three days a week that I will exercise, but I also make sure that I'm also meditating before the exercise because it just really sets up my day. And those 23 minutes are non-negotiable for me. My three-year-old came into the room one morning. I was like, Mika, mommy's meditating. She's like, okay, I'll be really quiet. She was not quiet. Three-year-olds do not know how to be quiet. (laughs) So in fact, they go to the school and, um, they talk about their mornings or whatever. So, And then we get reports during the day of how they've done at school. And little Mika had said, um, I tried to meditate with mummy, but I wouldn't be quiet. So she made me leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of messages from the mums during the day going, LOL, are you really wanting your kid, a three-year-old, to meditate with you? Good luck. <laughs> but points for trying. Yeah. And, you know, it does. it really does help because it sets me up for the whole day. It just gives me this feeling of what my meditation teacher calls unoverwhelmability, which is you can handle anything. Instead of reacting, you respond, take a breath, you have a think about what the message is that you want to send. And it feels more controlled, more strategic, more authentic and measured. And you always get a better result responding rather than reacting. Can I ask why 23 minutes? That's what my meditation tells me to do. And that's what I do. You know, like, you're not going to argue with the guru. He says 23 minutes. I'm like, okay. When I first started, I was thinking, how am I going to sit still for 10 minutes, let alone 23? And now I wonder how I could go without it. You know, sometimes 23 minutes doesn't seem long enough. 
and I kick in another 10 minutes there if I've got some time. An ideal situation is doing it in the afternoon as well. It just lessens the stress. We have all so much stress in our busy days and it compounds. Yeah. You know, and unless you have some kind of release, I use exercise, I use meditation, other people use different things and whatever works for them, but it works for me. And it honestly, it has helped me over the last three years, four years, change my life, change my business, change how I deal with people, um, change how I deal with stress. It's actually helped make me a much better person, calmer person, content person, happier person. And it's kicked my business up another 50%, if that was even possible. But it has. It really has. So I think my meditation teacher is going to hear this and want to cut off my business. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you think it's because meditating, like you've alluded to, it kind of frees your mind up so that you're able to use that executive part of your brain rather than, like you said, just reacting to the moment? Is that why you think you've had more success? Maybe. I never got into meditation because I thought it would be my business. I used to compartmentalize and a lot of women do actually. You're like, okay, that's my work and this is my home and this is my mental health and you've got all these different compartments that you're trying to make into one. What I think it has done is help me be, you know, they talk about work-life balance all the time. It helps me balance internally and the work flows from that. The intention was never to do meditation to help me get better at my work. I thought my work was awesome and my career was awesome, but I didn't know how much better it could be until I tapped into this and realized how much better I could be. So what it has helped me do is communicate better. And in real estate, communication is key. You're not a good communicator. You are not going to succeed. But a lot of people, they hear without listening or they listen but they don't hear yeah. and they formulate a response before they've actually heard what you are saying. And part of what we as women do, I think, I think women are amazing. I might be a bit biased, but we, 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 we are more empathetic. We listen better and we listen to converse. Um, when your friend is talking to you as generally with women, we go, well, what, what did he say? Or what happened then? And, you know, we want to get into the nuts and bolts of it. And I think that makes us great listeners. I think that makes us also beautifully empathetic to each other because we can feel each other's joy and sorrow, sadness and pain, the highs and the lows. We're in there, you know, and I, I love that about having beautiful female friendships and male is that you're able to give that of yourself. And part of that, a big part of that is being able to hear and listen and not want to reply straight away, but empathize. And I think that's what meditation has helped me do a lot. And I think that's what's made my business explode in a positive way because I've become a better listener. That is such an interesting take because I've never heard anyone explain the benefits of meditation like that. I didn't know what they were until I did it. And now I'm, I'm, I'm addicted. I actually literally am addicted. I have pulled over in my car at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I've been overwhelmed by the day and I've just hit a meditation for 15 minutes. And people beat me like, you know, somebody comes next to me and they think I'm asleep in the car. I'm like, <laughs> I'm meditating, bugger off. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's something that is life-changing and, you know, I'm talking about it because I enjoy it so much. And it, I mean, my kids are meditating, you know, like they're understanding the benefits of deep breathing. 
you know, take a deep breath and calm down. It helps. It helps. And we live in a crazy, crazy world. And I think we can all do with sometimes taking a few good deep breaths and calming down. That's essentially what it is. So other than your meditation practice, what else do you incorporate into your day and week? Because I would really love to know what a typical day or week is like for you and how you schedule in work and parenting and then also making time for yourself because how old are your kids again? Six and a half and nearly four. So very bossy little things. Um, so the, every morning, as I said, meditation, get the kids to school. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are my big work days. So with the Mondays, I'll be at work all day. Monday is my day in the office where I'm just in the office the whole day until I pick the kids up from school around 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'm in my office and I'm on the phone the whole time. I don't leave my office, not even to get lunch. I get lunch brought in. It is a diligent day. And that's when I get a lot of my business done. It's such a fabulously productive day. Tuesday, again, the same thing, but I'll work till six o'clock on that day. And then Wednesday, the same thing. It's open for inspection day. Those three days are the same. The Wednesday morning is the 5.30 walk or run. I'm pregnant now, so I'm running slow. (laughs) And then Thursday, I have my baby day. And that is the day that I enjoy the most of the week because I do my train I do a meditation class with my teacher in the morning at seven o'clock down at Bronte once a month and then after that I do training with my trainer at eight fifteen. I've been with him for fourteen years. He's Troy from Eastside Crew and he's trained me through now three pregnancies. He makes me run, he makes me do weights, he keeps me fit and strong. And then after that I take the little one to swimming and gymnastics and we have a day. And then in the afternoon, I pick up the other one and then I take her to gymnastics and then we have dinner together with her and her little friends and my little one as well. So that's a pretty busy day. And then Friday is my juggle day. So basically I do an activity with the little one, but then the nanny picks her up from that activity and I punch in about three hours worth of solid work before I pick the other one up from school in the afternoon and we go to swimming. And throughout all of this, you know, it's I think all working mums out there, all mums really working or no, is having kids a full-time job. Yeah. You know, and uh, some of the mums I speak to, they go, oh, I'm not working. You are working because you're doing the most important job in the world, which is raising human beings to be the best version of themselves. So that is, there's no better and more important job. I think, you know, if you can work in a secondary job, and everybody knows how much of a struggle and juggle it is. It's not an easy road. It's not an easy choice. You have guilt. I should be more with the kids. Always we want to do more. We need to strive to do more. You know, I was talking about this the other day. I had to learn myself that it is not survival of the fittest. It's survival of the nurtured. As mothers, as women, if we do not nurture ourselves, we cannot nurture anybody else. And Part of that is it is so self-care, you know, like I still struggle all the time thinking, am I enough, you know, and part of the journey that we all have, I know certainly me, is like saying, yes, you are enough, you're doing enough, you're doing enough, your kids are happy, you're happy. It's our journey of nourishing ourselves and saying, you're okay, you're doing a great job because that also feeds to the children, you know, I can say to my kids, you know, like you're doing a really good job. And they see that I'm being kind to myself. So they actually will understand what that self-care looks like for them. How did you learn to nourish yourself and, and be kind to yourself? 
Meditation. Mm. Meditation and therapy. I mean, this business, I've been in it since it's 20. It is a hard business for any gender, particularly for women. It, it, when I came in to work in real estate, I was 20. It was so chauvinistic, misogynistic. Like, if you get sexually harassed, you just shut up. You do not say a word. You, whatever goes, it's like you don't complain. You put up and you just get through it. And thank God times have changed. But it teaches you to be really, really tough. I grew up in this industry and there's there, there's no room for being gentle or kind to yourself. You just work and you keep going. And even if you get upset, you don't cry. You just get tougher. It makes you pretty hard. And I think what has changed for me is that I realized when I had kids that I wasn't going to survive being a mother and a worker if I didn't learn how to be kind to myself. And I, I definitely didn't want my daughter to grow up with the mentality that I'd grown up with in terms of real estate and career being only the tough survive because you can be strong but you don't have to be at the disadvantage to yourself. You know, you don't have to let go of who you are and not nourish yourself in order to be successful. You can do both. Yeah, in my mind, you don't have to be strong and be an asshole. You can be strong and still be nourishing, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in the workplace, in the, in age old days, they go, oh, gosh, she's strong, she's such a bitch. Do you know what I mean? And sorry for using that word because it's really offensive. And I learned over years that the loudest voice in the room is not necessarily the strongest. You can say things in a measured way that's equally as strong as, and then more strong, in fact, than screaming down the phone at somebody. And I think that's the whole premise of instead of reacting, you're responding. You're having a conversation where people will listen to you because they know that you are measured in your response, your thought out, your strategy. It's not just a screaming banshee having a bad day, which a lot of people in the workplace put a strong woman down to like, oh my God, she's just, you know, at the time of the month, you know, those kind of things. That's deeply offensive because it's it's dismissing our own capabilities. It's dismissing the message that we want to send. And really at the end of the day, we are responsible for sending the right message. And that is all about communication and the delivery of that message. And I think that's a real important key. And that's all encompassing, nourishing ourselves, making sure we feel comfortable with what message we're trying to deliver in terms of how we look, how we speak, how we act, how we treat each other. All of those things, they just, they're one package. You cannot separate them. They're all one. And I think a great thing about what you're doing too is you're setting a great example of what leadership can look like. It doesn't need to be that kind of, not ballsy, but... Uh, Ball-busting feminist, yeah. Ball-busting, yeah. Swinging the handbag around. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had to learn that as well because coming up the ranks in real estate, I didn't have those role models, you know. I was mostly men. And so, you know, the dialogue is changing, the conversation is changing because, they're, you know, we're learning how to be good leaders. You know, I'm still learning. We're all a work in progress, um, but a big part of that is being open to learn and say we don't know it all. The goal is not to be the conversation, but to better the conversation, and that's just by actions. Actions speak louder than words, and I say to the boys in my office all the time, results speak louder than words as well. So you can talk all you like, but how you act and your results will show more than what you talk. Now, I'd love to talk to you about your current pregnancy. Congratulations, baby number three. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. 
Baby number three, everybody thinks I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I saw on your Instagram that you were pregnant, I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Tell me about why it was important to you to expand your family. Oh, my goodness. I've always wanted a big family. And my mum actually reminded me the other day. She said when you were a kid, apparently I used to beg her for a baby brother. Beg her. So... I've always wanted, you know, three. And I didn't know I wanted it until I started having kids. Like I was a career girl. You know, I started very late in life. I had my child, my first child when I was 42. And it was funny. I'd spent the whole previous years, you try not to get pregnant. You have, you know, birth control. That's our aim, you know. Like it either has to be you have your career, you have your babies. You can't have both of them. And so my choice was career. And then I got to 40, I got married and I was like, okay, I want to have a baby. And I just, I went to my doctor and I was like, right, I'm ready to have a baby now. And she's like, yeah, you've been on birth control for about 20 years. So it's going to take your body some time. It's not just an on and off switch that you can make happen straight away. And it took me a long time through IVF to have my first. And there was a lot of, you know, it was a struggle, you know, and when I had our child, I, um, it's like a light bulb moment, you know, it went off in my head and I, I literally changed forever. It was, it was literally like, I wanted a better world for my baby. I wanted to be better for her. And I wanted to give her all the things that I hadn't had. And it inexplicably changed me for the better. And then seeing them grow up and, oh my God, it's so cute. And then seeing them learn and, and then having the second and, you know, you just, and seeing them play together and be kind to each other, have their fights and then make up and just that beautiful loving. I have that with my sister as well. And seeing that and fostering it, it is one of the most beautiful things in the world. So I talk money all day, every day, and I have done for 20 years to come home or to pick them up from school and they don't care about whether or not you have a good day, bad day, sold a $50 million property or lost a $20 million sale. They're like, they want you to be mum. Mum, where are my snacks? What are you doing? You know, those kind of things. It just brings you down to the basics, which is they need you to love them. They don't care how much money you earn. They need you to love them and be present. And those are the things where it just takes me out of whatever zone I'm in. I'm like, I'm here. I'm here. And so having the third is just like, I want to expand my family. And no one at the end of my life is going to remember how many houses I sold or didn't sell. But they will remember my children because that's going to be my legacy. And that's what I'd like for my life to, to have that be my legacy rather than how many millions of houses I've sold or what awards I've gotten. Those, those things are really meaningless at the end of the day, aren't they? Tell me about your journey to falling pregnant this time around. It is a sperm donor. He's a sperm donor and um, I decided to do this because I was very determined to have this baby on my own and I did not want any dramas. But, you know, I've, I've got concerns, obviously, having the sperm donor that is not going to be a present father, but I also know that the love that she's got, it's a little baby girl, but she's got two godfathers and four godmothers and... Um, all of my friends and their kids, we are, they are so excited that um, they're going to have another baby to look after, you know, because a lot of my friends have got older kids and everyone's like, can I babysit? Can I babysit? I'm like, can you just please hold your horses? Um, and I've got a book for my kids called Families Are Like a Cake. And it takes all kind of ingredients to make up a cake. 
there's no right way. There's no wrong way. Like they go to a school where there's some, the two dad families or two mum families or whatever it, we want to preach and teach is acceptance. And it doesn't have to look a certain way to be beautiful and love is love. And that's what I teach my kids. And so what we have is a situation where we've got a very unusual family. The two kids have got their dad and my third child will have a different dad, but they all will have the love they deserve. And that is the essence of a great family to me. Well said. Now, if you're comfortable talking about this, how has it been being pregnant at 50 compared to being pregnant at 42? (laughs) (laughs) Much bloody harder, I'll tell you that. My God, because I I felt pregnant at thirty nine, and I'm uh, and during it I was like, oh God, this is hard. <laughs> and so when you emailed me, and I'm like, oh God, fifty, yeah. So I'm very curious. It's a little bit mental. Look, I think that the IVF doctor said if you don't do it now, then you won't be able to because they they won't inseminate after fifty one. And also, I I feel like I'm twenty five. I may not look like I'm 25, but I I feel great. Like I feel healthy. I feel strong. Uh, But that actually, as women, which sucks for us, it's not about how you feel. It's what's going on inside. And we have, you know, guys can have babies till they're 80. We can't. And that is just something that you have to accept. And it is very pivotal in the decision-making about what you're doing. IVF, do you freeze your eggs, which I did when I was 35. And even the doctor said to me then when I froze my eggs, is you at the cutoff. You should have done it when you're 25. At 25, I wasn't thinking about freezing my eggs. I was thinking about which pub I was going to go to on a Saturday night. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> you're not thinking that way. And when it does hit you, you go, oh gosh, okay. And I'm glad that I did that then. But it was, even I remember injecting myself at 35, I was like, how did I get here? You know, how did I get here? Very confrontational. So carrying at 50 is hard. It's a lot harder. And I'm I'm really fit. And if I wasn't fit, it would be a lot harder. So I'm forcing myself to train because I know it makes me feel better. I'm forcing myself to get those morning walks and runs in because even though I'm tired, it will help me feel better. And I know that from my previous two experiences being pregnant, I know what I need to do. But also my obstetrician, he's so cool. He says to me, you feel good. Your baby feels good. Don't listen to anybody else. Listen to me. And that's what I do. And I said to him, can I run? He says, yes, you can. I said, can I do this? He said, yes, you can. So as long as I'm feeling good, I know the baby's feeling good. And I have gotten a lot more tired, but that's when you pull on your fitness levels. That's when you know that today I need to nurture myself a little bit more. Today I'm feeling tired. I'm going to pull over. I'm going to have a little nap in the car for 20 minutes um, because I know that's what my body needs and I'm okay with that. I've got nothing to prove other than just being kind to myself. And if that's what I need today, that's what I need today. Tomorrow will be a different day. Yes, because when I was pregnant, I was I found it really overwhelming with the amount of different advice that I, that I was being given. And especially because I'm quite fit and healthy. And during my pregnancy, I was still boxing, not not contact boxing, obviously, but still training. And Yeah, good on you. Thanks. But I had people, my mum, very concerned <laughs> that I was exercising like this. But like you're saying, I was really listening to my body. Like if I wasn't able to get in the ring, I wasn't going to get in the ring. I'm not, I wasn't going to push my body beyond what I thought it could do. But I had a good base of fitness. So then 
it felt right, you know. I have a question for you. As your pregnant woman, who got in the ring with you with your boxing gloves? <laughs> That's a brave person. She's going to box the shit out of you and you can't, you can't fight back because she's pregnant. <laughs> My boxing coach, I've been training with him for a long, 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 long time. So he was happy with that. <laughs> he's, he's all good. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never heard of that before. That's brilliant. But I think the premise is if you've been doing it before, your body's used to it. You're not going to take up a new sport when you're pregnant. If your body's used to it, then, hey, why not continue doing it if you like it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that your training um, has changed a bit now that you're pregnant. Can you explain a bit more about what those sessions are like with your PT at the moment, who you've trained with through three pregnancies, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he's been with me for 14 years. So I used to do so I do a lot of running. I love my half marathons. I haven't done a marathon yet, but love running. And so I run slower now. He still makes me do the stairs at Tamarama. So there's three sets of stairs. He still makes me do those. He will focus more on, so I'm not doing sit-ups or anything like that. Um, he will focus more on doing strength work for my legs because there's a lot of carrying work when you've got kids and you need strong legs, you need strong arms. He focuses a lot of doing that. But first and foremost, we get the run out of the way, we get the stairs out of the way, and then we come back and we do weights. and We do arms and legs. And then I'll do a yoga class. Uh, my yoga teacher's away, Christian Rolson, but he will come over once every two weeks on a Friday morning and do yoga with me and my six-year-old. That's nice. And that's just stretching, you know. And then I get a massage once every two weeks and that just kind of gets rid of all the tension. And people go, oh, you can't have a massage when you're pregnant or whatever. It's like my OB says it's fine. I'm going to keep on doing that. But the, 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 the training sessions have been more kind, less hardcore, because I love hardcore and it pushes me. I like to be pushed, but they've been more kind in terms of the heaviness of the weights that I will use, the length of where I run and the pace at which I run. Being obviously you're pregnant, you know, you're creating this amazing little human inside of you. You've got to be cognizant of that as well. How far along are you now? I'm six months. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I look like I've eaten a baby elephant. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm totally fine with it. One of the best things I love, like I love being pregnant. And I made a joke to one of my clients the other day. I was like, no matter how controlled you are in your world, Mother Nature comes along. She takes your body. She throws it against the wall. And she says, you're mine for nine months. And you can plan anything you like, but I'm in control here. And it's kind of cool, right? Because you put up your hands and say, I'm all yours. You know, it's one of the most amazing things that you have no control over what your body is going to do. That is all Mother Nature. And she will take you and she will have a way with you despite your best endeavours. And I, and that's what I love about it. You have no control, none. And it, yeah, it just works. It just works. So from speaking with you, something that seems to really drive you is this desire to empower other women through sharing your own story. And especially women who might be in a difficult situation where they're feeling helpless. Could you tell me about a time in your life when you felt disempowered and how you were able to get that personal strength back? Well, that's a wonderful question. I think that to answer that, I'm going to preface it by saying I have two little children that I have to, whatever I say, I've got to remember that they are old enough or will be old enough to understand. So, and I think it is important to, I've always been a really private person, like growing up in this industry, you put up 
and you shut up and you don't talk about things. You just go to work and get stuff done. I think, you know, a lot of people have asked me, gosh, you know, you left, became a single mum when you were six months pregnant. Why, why, why? And there was a lot of gossip around that. And, you know, I, I've, I've not talked about it because, A, it's nobody's business, um, but B, my number one priority is to look after my children and their well-being and their health and, and their privacy. I think that I have become open, open-hearted and honest about, you know, my experience the more I realise that, you know, we as women don't have to suffer in silence. It helps to talk about us and what we're going through because we are stronger together. So part of my journey with all of this was admitting to myself the situation that I was in, admitting to myself that I needed help. And and I guess the, the crux of it is that I was in a very unhealthy relationship. I didn't want my girls to see me in an unhealthy relationship and I wanted to be in a healthy relationship. And that doesn't have to be with anybody else, just with myself. And that was about respecting myself and what I was capable of and what I deserved. And I didn't want my children to see me being in an environment where I was not being respected. And I think that really is what I want for them. Sometimes, you know, I I was embarrassed. I thought, how did I get here? You know, like I'm a strong girl, I'm a career girl, I'm giving people advice. But behind closed doors, I felt weak and disempowered. My, my therapist actually said to me, you're shutting out the bad stuff. But by doing that, you're also shutting out the good. So you're not feeling anything. And I wanted to feel again. I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel the sadness. And I also wanted to feel the joy. And I wasn't feeling anything. I just compartmentalized everything. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. And instead, what uh, my work is to deal with it, being the happier version of myself, for my children, having them know that you have a voice, you use it, you have the biggest responsibility you have is to yourself, to be honest with yourself, deeply honest. And that's where healing comes from. And that's what I did. And people thought I was crazy or hormonal. She's six months pregnant. She's going to be a single mom and blah, blah, blah. I didn't care what people thought about my mom and dad were like, what are you doing? You know, but it was exactly what I needed to do to protect myself, to protect my mental health and to create the healthier and happier version of myself because I'm happy. My children see that and they will be happy too. And that's my biggest responsibility besides myself is to make sure that the little people are happy. And part of that is creating a happy home environment, which I didn't have. And now I do. A lot of hard work though. Oh yeah, a lot of hard work. I think something that you touched on there too, which is really important, is that sometimes people think that happiness means ignoring the bad stuff. But as you point out, to be able to fully experience the joys in life, you need to fully experience the shit parts too. Absolutely. There's no highs without lows in your career as well. You know, you don't always get the highs. And I think we confuse, it's this idea of happy. You know, no one's happy all the time. It's actually not possible you have to experience unhappiness to know what the flip side of that looks like. And I think what we talk about in meditation a lot is contentment. Contentment is it's not based on a desired outcome, like I'm going to get this listing or my kid's going to get the 100% in the school grades or whatever. It's about being able to be okay with what life gives you and understand that those lessons are there for a reason and being open enough to understand or accept what those lessons are and learn from it. 
And that brings you an inner peace and joy. And that just flows out into happiness. Do you know what I mean? But no one's happy all the time. It's not possible. So for women who might be in a similar situation, how do you, what are your some suggestions that you have so that they're able to find that inner power themselves? Well, one thing that I know is that nobody needs to suffer in silence. You don't have to be embarrassed by your situation. Um, it really helps to talk about it, talk about it with a therapist, talk about it with your friends. It helps. And I keep on saying we are stronger together. Talk about it. Talk about how you feel. It, there's no need to be embarrassed. You know, we are all just human beings trying to get through this thing called life. And you feel better by lifting somebody else up. And there's some people in the world that don't do that. And that's okay. They're not, they don't have to be your people. Find people that will help you authentically, genuinely, and, and good things will come. But it starts with being honest with yourself, you know, and admitting to yourself what you need and what you're not getting. And a lot of the stuff you're not getting sometimes, rather than blaming someone else, look at yourself and saying, this is mine. I've got to be responsible for this. And what do I need to do to make my life better? These are really good questions to ask. And I think confronting questions for some people. Confronting for me as well. <laughs> so for my final question, I would love to know, you're looking forward, what is on the cards for you these next few years? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be rebuilding my house in Bronte, which I'm really excited about. I'm certainly having bought into the Lang and Simmons Corporation and then one of the shareholders, our focus is to build that corporation. And, you know, we don't need to and don't want to be like the other guys. We want to be our essence, which I love, is this family and growing the corporation and growing our franchise office and definitely building my office here in Double Bay. You know, my family, you know, will be, there's three of us girls and, you know, growing them. And I think that this is where I'm at. I don't think I could be any happier or, you know, fulfilled. I think it's just capitalizing on where we are now. And, you know, I think I wish that I had more help when I was coming through the ranks. And maybe that's part of my journey is to, you know, speak out and help and do whatever I can to make my part of the world a little bit better. And will there be a season three of Lux Listings? Do you know yet? We already shot it. Oh, have you? We already shot it. We're done. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's oh. all done. Thank <laughs> goodness. I was actually pregnant when we launched season two. Ah. And I remember they had me up at 5.30 in the morning doing it. And I was so, I had the worst morning sickness, the worst. And I couldn't tell anyone, right? And I was like, can someone get me some? fresh passion fruit please like all I wanted to eat was fresh passion fruit and I remember no one had it so there was one call it was five o'clock in the morning I took seven passion fruits from my house with me cut up and I'm just like eating I remember Simon Cohen my castmate and Monica too they were there and they're like what are you doing eating passion fruits I'm like oh, I'm just hungry but yeah so we're done with season three it is coming out I guess later in the year but it is all shot Mm, looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much, Delee. I'm looking forward to seeing it too. Thank you, Han. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebelagen, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of the latest issue of Women's Health with Brooke Blurton on the cover, find it on newsstands or online via Zinio and Apple News Plus, and visit us at womenshealth.com.au. See you next time.